I was a kid growing up in Jersey. Uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Sing for me. Sing of the mountains and the deep dark sea. Sing of the lakes and the nymphs in the forest. Sing your hearts out, all you women of the chorus. Sing of honor and fame and of glory be. Mother of muses, sing for me. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us once again to talk about Mother of Muses from 2020's Rough and Rowdy Ways is fellow Bobcat, Matt Steichen. Hi, Matt. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to have you back on the show to be talking about our first Rough and Rowdy Way song post record. Of course, I covered three of these songs with uh, our beloved Tara Zook, but that was before the record had come out. And in fact, the two that we did, the first two that we did, Murder Most Foul and I Could See Multitudes, we didn't even know it was from a record. Uh, these were just weird songs that were <laughs> Bob was dropping on his website. But this is the first time we've we've had a chance to talk about a song uh, within the full context of this album. And of course, we'll get into all the different uh, meanings uh, buried in the lyrics of this song. But before we get to that, Matt, I need to ask you, I mean, this is a huge question and I'm sorry for, for uh, asking it at the top of the show, but like, what's your overall thoughts on, on rough and rowdy ways now that we've all had a chance to live with it for like half a year. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start Rob by saying that uh, I've got big shoes to fill uh Tara really cornered the market on the analysis on these songs uh, from this album. So uh, I always felt the same way shadow. about her. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way, and yeah. I was I was the host. Yeah. So uh, as far as the album, uh, I think it's amazing. First of all, that Bob still has the creative energy and willingness to create this piece of art that stands up to the things that he's done over the last sixty years of his career that he's still able to maintain this level of quality and dedication to his craft of creating these songs and these albums, I think. But as far as comparing it to like, say the Jack Frost era, it's amazing that he's able to continue to build on what he's doing creatively and create at this point, an album that even goes in different directions from modern times or love and theft. Um, I, I really enjoy the, the different uh, aspects of the album that we've come to expect from a modern uh, Bob Dylan album. It covers mortality and popular culture some you know low-key violence here and there <laughs> um and uh the stuff, what i really like about it though that i think sets it apart is looking through the lyrics from all of his albums this out al- album has more self-reference and songs sung in the first person than any album that i could find that he's ever done which hmm. for fans that are trying to get inside Bob's head and, you know, see the perspective he has on this music he's created for so long, it's really fun to hear all this first person, uh, all these first person narratives. I mean, when he sings, I contain multitudes, I ain't no false prophet. I've made up my mind to give myself to you. I can't sing a song that I don't understand. You can tell right away that it's uh, an album that's, that's at least it seems like it's close to him. It's an album that's, that's very much sung from his point of view rather than being, you know, riddled with old blues cliches and, you know, AB couplets that don't seem to to relate to anything specific and are strung (laughs) together in kind of an arbitrary way. This album doesn't seem like that. It seems like each song has a specific thing that he's trying to convey. 
That's that's interesting. I hadn't really noticed that that there's a lot of I in this. Right? Of course, there's I in this song. Um, I will admit that when I first was going through this record and I was listening to it, you know, from beginning to end, over and over and over again, Mother of Muses was initially my least favorite song on the record. Now that is again, that's a relative term because I liked them all, but it was my least favorite just because it was so slow and. After the energy uh, of Goodbye Jimmy Reed, which is one of my favorite, two favorite songs on the on the album, like I just I didn't like that all of a sudden we were kind of doing this ballad uh, after the, the 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 rollicking energy of the previous song, and then you've got again it kind of picks up again with Crossing the Rubicon. So initially, this was my least favorite song on the record. Again, I liked it, but it was the the one I was like, well, okay, least favorite. No, I mean, I, I felt the same way that I liked all the songs, but to me, the exact opposite. This stood out to me as, as one of my two or three favorites right away, which didn't seem to be in the consensus of fans on the internet. But when I heard this, my first thought was like, oh, if I get to talk to Rob about a song, this is the song I want to talk about. <laughs> so I felt like, one, I had the chance to defend it and its merits, and two, it's a song that the topic it covers, the, the area, the territory it covers – is so interesting and rich to talk about that this this lends itself to, to the kind of analysis that we do on this show sometimes. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. Right. Well, that said, I was I was going to say that it's like over the time over the course of the six months, my initial assessment has changed because part of it was I did a little bit of research, and we'll talk about this. I, I read a, a book about Dylan. The, I finally got around to reading Richard Thomas's Why Bob Dylan Matters, and he talks extensively in that book about. Bob Dylan getting the Nobel Prize. And that figures into this song to me very heavily. And I went and I was like, oh, okay. That that opened a, a door for me for this song that I didn't appreciate. And I was won over by the vocal performance. I think the vocal performance that he does in the song is one of the best on the record. And that was the thing that moved it kind of up a couple notches for me. As I was continually listening to it, I was said, oh, no, 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 no. I like this a lot more than I did when I first heard it because I think he brings such verbal commitment to it, not that he doesn't bring that to the other songs, but like for Goodbye Jimmy Reed example, and we'll cover that at some point on the show, but like you can tell he's having fun with that song. Like that's a fun song to sing. And so you can get away with maybe not uh, being as heartfelt with some of it because it is just a fun, the beat is so great, but this is just so much more his vocal is front and center and it's really the thing that's driving the song is that that performance. And that's what made it over time, except you know, over six months, which in, in Dylan terms feels like not long, but then also feels like a lifetime in some ways, because 2020 has felt like a lifetime that this song has. It's really grown on my estimation. So when you said you wanted to talk about it, I thought, oh, OK, this will be perfect. So why did the song stick out to you early and so so profoundly as soon as you were listening to the album? Yeah, um, as far as the the voice he sings it with, the, the things that came to mind to me listening to it were that it sounds solemn and reflective and that that perfectly matches the topic of the song, which seems to be how he's able to uh, find inspiration and get in touch with uh, his muse, you know, over the over the course of this journey, artistic journey he's been on, he's always had ebbs and flows in his level of inspiration and dedication to his craft. So it's really a moving thing to hear an almost 80 year old man uh, give this really reflective, committed vocal to this song that the, the lyrics really necessitate that it be a very dedicated performance. And he totally pulls it off and it, it restores my faith. 
uh, just like Shadows in the Night did for his vocal performance compared mm-hmm. to how he was singing on Together Through Life with that really like leaning into that growl. The craggy, you know? yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was great on Shadows in the Night to find out that that was basically a vocal choice, a styling for those, you know, raunchy blue songs he was singing and that he could, you know, pull back that growl and restrain it. And uh, he does that here. And it's, it's just a beautifully sung song and his stately, grizzled old way, the way he sings glory be and <laughs> inside out at the ends of the, uh, of the verses is, uh, is just great. And uh, so you asked the reason that I chose this song. Um, in addition to, you know, defending it, like I said, it's really about the territory that this covers. Um, to me, it's an important uh, song to Bob because he's, basically giving us an inside look at basically like what he's putting forth as like a prayer to his muse, calling out to the mother of muses and the goddesses of inspiration and letting us see that communication as, as he's kind of uh, figuratively, figuratively looking for uh, the inspiration to create this music. You know, it's been asked so many times over the years, you know, where did, where do these songs come from? <laughs> right. That sort of question. And, you know, when a reporter asked that, he just say, Oh, I don't know, man, they just come to me. But in a song like this, he's willing to um, be very forthcoming and open to sharing, you know, how he harnesses that inspiration. So I think that's just a very exciting and personal thing that he's willing to put that in a song. And it's really fascinating to, to then hear in the verses what the specific things are that he considers inspiring. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's something uh, I, I wanted to ask you about because I was sort of curious. Uh, in the second verse, he sings, Mother of Muses, sing from my heart. Sing for a love too soon to depart. Sing of the heroes who stood alone, whose names are engraved on tablets of stone, who struggled with pain so the world could go free. Mother of Muses, sing for me. And then sing of Sherman, Montgomery, and Scott. Sing of Zukov and Patton and the battles they fought, who cleared the path for Presley to sing, who carved out a path for Martin Luther King, who did what they did and then went on their way. Man, I could tell their stories all day. That, I thought, when I first heard the song, I thought that was a very curious bunch of names to include. All of a sudden, to think of that Bob Dylan is sort of, um, not worshipful, that's too heavy a word, but but so admiringly of war generals. Uh, and I had to look up Zukov. I wasn't familiar with who Zukov was. And he was a Russian general during World War II, but I know who Sherman was, obviously, Montgomery Scott and Patton. But I thought that was interesting that a guy that we don't necessarily think of uh, in those terms as being admiring of, of war generals would sing so lovingly of these men and the th- the battles they fought. I mean, and the, the man, I could tell their stories all day. Just, I love the sort of informality of that. Just the way he's man, I could tell their stories all day. So that was a very interesting approach to take in a song about muses. All of a sudden we're, we're hearing about, you know, George Patton. I thought that was really interesting, a little confounding. Uh, but again, you know, typically Dylan in that it was references that you're just like, what? Yeah, well, I think um, that's what I like about the song is that it's it's revealing and very forthcoming. And he sings it from the very start. Mother of Muses, sing for me. He's saying, goddesses of inspiration, you know, br- you know, bring me inspiration. Um, sing of the mountains and the deep, dark sea. So he's talking about, uh, you know, mystery and nature and nymphs of the forest. So that's like sing, uh, you know, inspire me through uh, myth- the mythological. And then when he sings... Uh, sing of honor, fame, and glory be. 
those are all, you know, uh, people, righteousness, people who displayed righteousness and did the right thing and were selfless. And, uh, yeah, to him, uh, those military heroes he talks about were people that did that. It's, it's a far cry from with God on our side when yeah. you know, the names of the heroes I was made to memorize. But as he's done, you know, over the years, his perspective has changed. And now he's more of the grandfatherly guy who's, you know, obsessed with the Civil War. Uh, if you look at all those interviews over the years or if in No Direction Home, he said he could see himself dying in some heroic battle. And <laughs> in Chronicles, in Chronicles, he talks about, you know, all of his uncles who returned from World War II and they never talked about what they'd seen is what he said, which, uh, you know, they did what they dared and then went on their way. And he was he had a front row seat for that generation of people. And I do think that he has a very um, strong appreciation for uh, you know, the sacrifice that people made and that, you know, the, the sacrifice that those people made paved the way for Elvis and all this. All, you'd expect someone like Bob Dylan, a musician, would say, you know, Elvis, you know, he's someone who I would look up to. But he said, Bob said over the years in interviews, like, I don't really look up to entertainers. He looks up more so to, to people that displayed bravery and, uh, you know, selflessness. And I think that's what that's what he's getting at and talking about all those uh, military references. I would love to know, can you imagine what Bob Dylan's like uh, his bookshelf must look like, like his home book. I mean, just the amount of stuff he must take in and read has got to be fascinating. I mean, he could, if he wanted to, he could do a Bob Dylan book club and, and you know, yeah. and really, really, cause it would, there would be lots of interesting suffering and a lot of it would be unfathomably obscure, but his choices would probably be very unique in a lot of ways. And it would probably give you insight as to his personality, but also just, you could almost, you know, pick up a book that he's reading and say, Oh, this will, this is probably going to appear in a song in a couple of years. Cause this is, you know, this kind of reference. And then in the next verse, he moves right on away from all that to I'm falling in love with Calliope. She doesn't belong to anybody. Why not give her to me? She's speaking to me, speaking with her eyes. I've grown so tired of chasing lies. Mother of muses, wherever you are, I'm, I've already outlived my life by far. And that line, the, the, the final line in that verse, the I've already lived, outlived my life by far, goes back to something that I talked uh, about with Tom Moon, uh, music critic Tom Moon, when we did our episode on this record, was that I, I get the sense sometimes that Bob Dylan never had any indication or inclination or, or imagination that he would live to be this old. That he just did never, I mean, he's lived a hard life. I mean, hard life and that, you know, yes, he's never, he's been a, uh, he's been able to follow his creative muse his whole life. I don't think he's ever had a job, like a regular job, you know, and then a lot of, and he, obviously he's uh, lived a life of fabulous wealth and privilege and access. But at the same time, uh, he spends what, how many days, you know, 2020 accepted, spends what, 150 days a year on the road. Uh, you know, it's, it's a life that kills a lot of people. And he's lived kind of that hard life. He's seen a lot. He's been criticized a lot. He's been in the public eye a lot. And yet I could see him thinking when he was setting out on this path, when he was 20, 21, that he's not going to live to be 80 years old. He's just not going to make it that far. And here he is at 80 years old with these new inspirations coming to him. Sometimes I feel like that's him letting us know that he just never would have guessed he'd still be here at 79 making record. Yeah. And, and more specifically in the context of this song, what I kind of thought was like, I've already outlived my life by far is kind of him acknowledging I've already gotten more inspiration than I deserve. Like yes. for me to, to yes. sit here and say like mother of muses, just give me some more ideas. <laughs> like Bob, you've gotten enough ideas. <laughs> um, I think, uh, 
but this whole verse is one that I kind of had to sit with for a while. Um, the important thing to kind of to look at this verse, since it's it's getting into Calliope, I don't know a lot about Greek mythology. I don't know about you, but that's one of the good things about Bob is that he makes us do the digging on stuff like this. Like if <laughs> yeah. you're going to talk about the mother of muses, then it's up to me to know what that means. Um, so I guess the mother of muses is a, the, the muses are the Greek goddesses of poetic inspiration, song, dance, and memory to whom, you know, all the creativity and wisdom and insight of artists and thinkers depends, which I had to Google, obviously. I don't know anything about that Greek mythology stuff, like I said. Um, but the important thing to know about that is that uh, Calliope is um, one of the nine goddesses, and she's the goddess of poetry. So yep. when Bob sings, I'm falling in love with Calliope, it makes me think that he's talking about, I'm falling in love with, or like, I'm, I'm bringing poetry into my creative process. And then when it's, he says she doesn't belong to anyone, why not give her to me? That's kind of like the Henry Timrod stuff. Like this poetry is out there. No one's using it. Why can't I just use it in my music? <laughs> and then uh, and then when she gets in, he, this is the line in the song that baffled me the most. Because I think the first couplet with Calliope and give her to me is, is a, a piece of it on itself. And then when he says she, she's speaking to me, speaking with her eyes, that's Calliope. But she's speaking with her eyes is kind of like, a, you know, her human beauty is inspiring him. But he's tired of chasing lies. He's tired of chasing the dishonesty of human beauty. He doesn't want to be inspired by the, you know, lightweight pop romance stuff that, you know, the early 60s and 50s music was. Maybe I'm reading way too much into this. But I then, I, is there any way to do that, really, at this point with yeah. the song, read too much into it? But then I was listening to an interview the other night, unrelated, just for fun, because why wouldn't I be? Um, <laughs> but then he's talking to this uh, Dave Herman in 1981, and they're talking about the purpose of art. And, and this Dave Herman guy says, you know, to express beauty. And Bob says, well, beauty can be very, very deceiving. And, and then he differentiates between the beauty of nature and the beauty of human, uh, you know, human beauty. And so he says, uh, because of uh, human beauty, God's beauty has evaded me. So that makes me think of this couplet that, you know, she's speaking with her eyes, but I've grown so tired of chasing lies. Like uh, he, being distracted by human beauty is like holding him back in his art, which all he believes are his eyes and his eyes, they just tell him lies. So it's kind of related <laughs> to that. Um, nice. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, he spends, uh, uh, you know, two of the first three verses talking about, uh, you know, heroism and mythology and morality as kind of the things that drive his art. And then in this fourth verse, he pivots to uh, poetry and love. So, so this, this song kind of has a, a narrative structure that it follows and it's, and it's interesting to see where he takes it when he's talking about his own artistic inspiration. Yeah. And uh, going back to what I mentioned earlier about uh, Richard Thomas's book, uh, the why Bob Dylan matters again, he spends a large chapter, large section of the book talking about Bob Dylan getting the Nobel prize. And on the back of the Nobel prize for literature is a young man uh, sitting down in front of a muse and the muse has got this liar and she's playing the muse. So you've got, you've got this person and he's got a, a, a pen in his hand and he's scribbling down notes. So here you've got, the backside of the Nobel Prize of a man talking to his muse, looking for inspiration. And I have to think that in between, obviously Bob Dylan received his Nobel Prize in between 
the last record that he, the last bunch of records that he made, or at least the last original record that he made, original songs, and then Rough and Rowdy Ways. I have to think that that maybe if this was the 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 seed of inspiration for this song was the idea because Richard Thomas describes what people saw when Dylan was was there to got his medal that he stood and stared at the medal for a long time and people just let him kind of gave him his space and let him as he just sat there and stare and I would imagine if I won a Nobel Prize I'd be sitting and staring at it a lot myself you know <laughs> it'd be pretty impressive like I got a Nobel Prize so I yeah. always thought that this is this was sort of the germ that led into the song of, of thinking about how Dylan has been added to these, this illustrious list of names. And it's the first sort of, you know, a modern rock act or, or, or pop musician or, or musician in any way to receive this award. And so that's when I hear the song now, that's that I can't get that out of my head after reading that section in the book. That's what I think about is that he's, yeah. He, and I, I love the idea that yes, of if there's anybody who has gotten a lot from a muse, it is Bob Dylan. And you could see if you want to regard the muse as a person, an entity, uh, I can imagine, you know, the entity might say, haven't you gotten enough from me? Right. I have been giving you stuff for 60 years. Can I just get, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a pie. And just because the muse gives inspiration to other people doesn't mean you lose some, but at the same time, this is a guy that's written what five, six, seven hundred songs at this point. You could argue he's really exhausted the muse at this point, and yet here he is in 2020 asking for more inspiration. Yeah, uh, I think uh, with the Nobel lecture and stuff, he incorporated a lot of stuff having to do with Greek mythology and Homer and all that stuff. So I think it's really interesting um, that he would use that as kind of the framework for talking about his own creative process and, and his inspiration here. I don't think he literally, you know, sits down and prays and says, oh, muses, I, I need a song idea. Um, but it's <laughs> wiggle, very, wiggle, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very Dylan-esque thing to do to uh, incorporate, you know, Greek mythology and history to convey a, and express your relationship with something abstract like your creative process. And he, I think he gets to that in the very next verse where he says, yeah. mother, mother of muses, unleash your wrath. Things I can't see, they're blocking my path. Show me your wisdom, tell me my fate, put me upright, make me walk straight, forge my identity from the inside out. You Ooh, know I love that I'm, line. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, things I can't see, they're blocking my path. I mean, that's writer's block. I mean, right. <laughs> you know, what else? But uh, yeah, that's a that's a really great way of putting it. Of that, Yeah, there's got to be moments where anybody, anybody who is a working creative person, even someone who is seemingly free from creative or excuse me, free from commercial concerns as Bob Dylan probably is at the same time, there is money involved in this. There is a, there is a business, there is the Bob Dylan business and he is probably not completely free from the sense of uh, if he goes, you know, maybe too long between records that there's got to, you know, Hey, Bob, you've got a contract. Let's, you know, I mean, I'm sure that whatever contract Bob Dylan signs for with Columbia Records at this point, there is no stipulation of albums. I'm sure there's nothing Bob Dylan can be forced into doing he doesn't want to do. But at the same time, he is doing this as a commercial venture, and there has to be some pressures to create at a moment when maybe creativity isn't there. I can imagine if there, Bob Dylan feels that pressure, or maybe if he, if he feels that pressure just that he sees what's going on in the world. And he feels like I want to make some comment in some way about this. Okay, what do I have in my mind? And maybe he sits around for a couple of weeks and nothing comes to him. 
there's got to be some level of frustration setting in of like, come on, let's, you know, and maybe, maybe he doesn't experience that. Maybe at this point after written, writing so many songs, he doesn't go through that and it's a more natural process and it comes out of him or it doesn't. But at the same time, it's that, that I, I love that he gets to that idea of frustration of these invisible things that are blocking my path. Obviously there are things in your life that are going to block your path that you can that you can see that are obvious where you've got other commitments to worry about, or you've got family drawing upon your time or friends or whatever, or, but then there's got to be other things that are blocking your creativity and you can't see what they are. And I love the idea of turning to the muse and saying, not only give me inspiration, but remove the blockage from what the inspiration might be. I think that's a great, it's a great uh, verse. Yeah. I mean, at this point, he's been so prolific. It's easy to think, you know, he's always had the answers, but if you look back, there's been many gaps in his career where he's gone three, four years without releasing anything. And uh, it's just very a humble. It shows a lot of humility uh, in a six verse song about your you know, inspiration to have a verse, a whole verse dedicated to admitting that, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here and I just can't come up with anything. And I think that's <laughs> been a theme of his career that he's always found a way to, to do that next, to make that next comeback, to end it with my favorite maybe line on the whole album is forge my identity from the inside out guide me to create art that is pure and true myself and it's authentic and it's not tainted by outside influences and and help my music match what i have in my head and Mm. to say that all in seven words uh i remember (laughs) tony glover had an interview where he said that bob told him his skill was being a master of language and so if you're sitting down writing the song Mother of Muses and to put together seven words, forge my identity from the inside out, it seems so simple on paper, but it's just so concise and perfect. It's like a, a master class in conveying this huge idea in such a simple, easy way. That's, that's Bob Dylan magic right there. I also like that he uses the word forge because when we think of the word forge, we tend to think of metallurgy. Uh, you know, not metallurgy, but like, you know, forging, we think about uh, metalwork, you know, putting things together. Uh, that's what you do. And that's what a forging, it's what you're doing. You're forging is like you're creating some sort of metal object with fire. And of course, we know that Bob does that on his spare time. That's something that he does. He makes metal sculptures. Yeah. Uh, that He does that as part of another part of his art. And so I just, it's all tying into sort of his idea of the, the creation. And I guess also, I like the idea of uh, conveying yourself as a songwriter, but almost m- doing it like you're like your Iron Man making the suit of armor in the cave, you know, like you're sitting there, like you're almost like you, you in a, in a weird way, you can almost see Bob taking that idea that you just talked about of forging my identity from the inside out, but having coming up with that idea, but having way more words than he needed. And you can almost you want to imagine like putting that line on a rock and just banging at it with your with your hammer until you've eliminated all the extraneous words until it gets to what you're talking about which is getting it down to just seven words forge my identity from the inside out as you say it's a huge idea distilled down to just seven words there were people that couldn't convey that in a whole song and he's managing to do it in seven words or write or a book and yet in seven words boom that's the idea it's like it's marvelous uh limiting of and, and Pairing down of language. And it's something that Bob has talked about in interviews. Uh, you've mentioned a few, but like when he was going around promoting time out of mind, he said there were no extraneous words on this record. And he must be thinking of 
some of his other song, some of his other albums, like Blonde on Blonde, which is an incredibly wordy album. Mm-hmm. And then here, it's all pared down to the bone. And again, that's a great I, that line. I that line had not jumped out at me until you really had talked about. It. Now I'm seeing it like, yeah, that's a that's a it's a huge idea he's putting across very very simply. And a personal idea. That's not the kind of thing he would tell an interviewer, but he's willing to put it in this song. And there's mm-hmm. a, there's several lines like that throughout this song where they're incredibly personal feelings and things to share about his creative process that he would never say it to you. Yeah, yeah. And then he ends the song with "Take me to the river." And release your charms, lay me down in your sweet loving arms, wake me, shake me, free me from sin, make me invisible like the wind. Got a mind to ramble, got a mind to roam. I'm traveling light and I'm a slow coming home. There is so much in this final verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I mean, he's borrowing from song, wake me, shake me, mind to ramble, mind to roam. I mean, right there, he's borrowing from other songs that take me to the river. I think is interesting because I mean, of course, that's a think of the song from the Talking Heads, "Take Me to the River," and just the phrase "Take Me to the River" is in, if, if for some people going to the you know the river home is the river the the river sticks going to uh, dying, and here he's saying "Take Tell me, me to the river, take me across, lucky old son." Yeah, yeah, right, Ted, lucky old son, and of course, I mean. In over a couple of songs earlier in the record on False Prophet, he's talking about his guides to the underworld. And here, I think it's like it's a connecting up here. He's taking to the river and release your charms. And then the the make me invisible like the wind, which in a lot of ways, I think Bob Dylan has been able on a more prosaic level. I think I used that word twice in two episodes in a row. I'm sorry, everybody. But uh, <laughs> um, invisible like the wind, that's something that I've heard people say that he's able to do. Like he's able to walk among the crowds or walk among the people in the city that he's touring in. And he's, he gets to go unnoticed. You wouldn't be able to do that. The Rolling Stones wouldn't be able to walk unnoticed. Taylor Swift's not going to be able to walk unnoticed in a town, but he could do it. You know, he's able to somehow shake off that that idea that he's a famous person or that he's recognizable and he's able to walk around. And we've heard about that he jogs sometimes in the town. Imagine that. Imagine being out at, you know, six in the morning and you walk running by the river and look, there's this guy in a hoodie. Oh, that guy looks familiar. But the final line, I'm traveling light and I'm slow coming home. Again, to me, it gets back to that idea of this is a guy who never thought he'd live this long. And he's not sure when the end of the the road is, is coming. It's it's not dark yet, uh, but it's getting there. Uh, but just I'm slow coming home is sort of saying to the muse, I'm not done yet. I thought I would be done at this point, but I'm not done yet. So I'm slow coming home and the 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 verbal commitment he brings to it is to me really startling and it is one of my favorite pieces of his singing on this whole record is that final line i'm traveling light and i'm slow coming home and once again it seems to be referring to what he talked about in the like the opening minute of no direction home where he realized that he felt like that he was born in hibbing minnesota but that was not where he was from and he had to find his way home and again, it's this idea of, you know, again, in his most famous song, talks about no direction, you know, no direction, you're on your own, there's no way. It's all this idea of coming home is so insistent in his songs. And I just love how it, he wraps this song up. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's talking about concise lines. I'm traveling light and I'm slow coming home, just says so much. Um, you know, he's, 
he's ready for death. His light, like his bags are packed. He's traveling light, (laughs) but he's not in any, he's also not in any hurry. He's kind of just, uh, rambling and roaming, uh, you know, working his way through the crowd and he's, he's still there and still searching for that inspiration, which the whole last verse kind of reminds me of, of stay with me. Another song that he covered on shadows in the night. Mm. Um, like, uh, you know, all that I can do is pray, stay with me. And he's, it's like, he's asking that of inspiration itself. Like, please don't let me, you know, you know, spend the last 10 years of my life, you know, sitting here all used up. Like, Mm -hmm. let me carry this inspiration all the way until my death. Like, that's what he's asking for here in that last, in this last verse. And it's such a beautiful sentiment to close this album on. Yeah, it really is. And, and there are times when, and I've heard other, uh, I've heard other people uh, say this where they, they feel like Bob sometimes brings real verbal commitment to his work. And other times he's kind of uh, almost like playing Bob Dylan in a certain way. I mean, you mentioned the song, the way he sang on uh, together through life. I think there, there's a little bit of just the kind of Bob Dylan grit, not that the song singing on that record is, is, is bad in any way, but it's, I think there's times where I feel like he can really, I feel like he's conveying something that even he isn't fully understanding in the way he sings. And to tie this back into a, a weird place, but um, the Christmas in the Heart record from 2009, the much maligned Christmas in the Heart record, which again, I unironically love and I think is great. And I remembered at the time, there were a lot of reviews saying, is he kidding? Is this whole thing a joke? I mean, come on, Bob Dylan cragging through Christmas songs. And I, you know, I listened to it and I always thought, no, 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 he's just doing a Christmas record. Why should he be limited? Why, why can't he do a Christmas record? Why, you know, why is he limited like that? But the thing I think about uh, when I listen to Mother of Muses is the final song on uh, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, the final song in the record, which is Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. And at the very end of that record, it ends with him singing Amen. He just sang, and you hear the backup singers and he just goes, Amen. I'm butchering it. I apologize, everybody. But he, to me, when I hear him sing Amen so reverently, I'm like, he's deadly serious with this record. He's, you know, he is being as serious about these. He is as committed to these songs as he is to any of his own songs. Uh, or as he might be on the, the, all the Sinatra songs that he did a couple of years later. And I feel like just the way when he slows things down and kind of does this breathy sort of breathy is maybe not the right term, but just kind of slow burn on the song. I just feel like it gives me goosebumps and it's still, again, it makes me think this is, yeah, he's a brilliant songwriter, but he also is a great singer. Uh, even after all these years, it's, we still kind of feel the need to defend that in some ways that he's still a great singer, but he really commits to this song uh, and, and I just love again, the way it, it ends. And, you know, I, this is one of those songs where I say, I can't imagine it being done any other way than as a hymn. But of course, by saying that we will eventually be, you know, given up a bootleg series, probably in a couple of years. Well, we'll find out there was an alt version of this. That's like a fast rocking version. Cause that's just the way Bob does it. I'm sure that or when he finally does it live, he'll, will be the rocked up version. Like he'll completely rework this song in a way nobody could imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of songs I can see that, but this song really seems, like I said before, like the the uh, tone, uh, you know, of the singing really matches the words. And I, I think he would have, you know, uh, realized that right away in studio, that he was really connecting on something here, that there's really no sense of sarcasm or irony. Like, yep. he, I think he has to deal with that reputation of being a guy who has, you know, he's got the 60s 
bitterness thing and he's got the sarcasm and the sly kind of thing but really when he sings a heartfelt song you can you can hear it and this is one of those songs where uh you can tell <clears throat> there's no there's no hint of sarcasm or irony he's really uh being forthcoming yeah and now as i mentioned of course this song has been performed <clears throat> zero times live yet because bob has not done any concerts uh since this album came out he must be dying to get some of these songs out on the road uh, as, di- as as much as we're all dying to hear them he must be dying to get these out on the road and it will be really interesting that once things go back to quote unquote normal uh, to see what songs he chooses to pull from this record to play i mean we've We've all lived with these experiences where for the last bunch of records, he clearly pulls a handful of favorite songs and then a lot of them just get get left behind and they never get performed live or they very rarely get performed live. It'll be it'll be fascinating to see what uh, what from Rough and Roundy Ways makes uh, it's uh, it's live debut. So as we're wrapping up here, man, I would like we we open this by talking about the record. I mean, how do you feel like this? You talked a bit about it a little bit, but like, how do you feel like this stands with the records from, let's say, this century? Which is amazing to say that we can block it off in in the century form. But like, how do you feel like it it stands up with alongside Love and Theft or Modern Times or Together Through Life, where he's clearly doing something a little different on this record, just vocally. I mean, just the, just the fact that we've got backup singers on this record, which we didn't have on any others. But how do you, Tom Moon talked about that. He thought that this record pointed that he was going in a slightly different direction from the other records, which seemed to be more of a piece. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like this signifies that we're going to go somewhere else if he continues on with, uh, if he continues making records, we might be headed in a different direction than, than what the other records were, were, were taking us? I really do. Um, I think it definitely... Um, differentiates itself in, in the chord structures of the songs. I, Blake Mills played in the studio session, and I know he brought a lot of different chord changes and, and styles and tones to the songs. Um, I think also it shows that he took a lot of care to put this together and that it took him eight years to put out another album. And it doesn't follow a lot of the standard, you know, 12-bar uh, blues formats that you get you know, kind of repeated from Love and Theft to Modern Times to Tempest. Uh, there's a lot of songs that kind of fall into similar categories, but then this album comes along and it a lot of the songs go in very different directions from those songs. And uh, the way it incorporates so much popular culture, it's almost as if he's saying like, um, I'm still watching what's going on here. I'm still <laughs> surveying our cultural landscape and I still have a very unique perspective to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I sure as heck hope... It's not another eight years. I mean, I, again, just even asking that Bob produce another record feels so greedy, kind of like Bob with Calliope. Or, you know, like isn't it like it, it hasn't he done enough for us? Why do we need you know? Why do we need more? I mean, in between records, he's putting out bootleg series full of things too. So I mean, good lord. But but nevertheless, uh, I'm hoping that this is you know with all this time that he's got on his hands, presumably in, in between reading books about Zukov and Patton, that he's sitting around and maybe working on new songs. In fact, I saw some conversation on over on Twitter where someone just said, oh, you know, some part of me thinks that there's going to be something he's going to drop around the Christmas season. And that's that's probably just wishful thinking. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel that way too. Because he's, he's now clearly uh, adapted to the internet model. Of, I mean, good Lord, it's, the internet's not a new thing. But he's clearly adapted to it where he knows that he can drop new music and it, instantly disseminate it across the world 
in a way. And he can do it in this sort of cheeky, mysterious way. Like, you know, we've all learned now that when BobDylan.com over on Twitter you know, put some, some, put some sentence out. We're all like, oh, what does that mean? That means something, you know, we're, <laughs> we're like Rosetta stoning it, trying to figure out what he's talking about. So well, if you remember back in uh, April, when we talked about dark eyes, I said like, oh, we're all going to be housed up here for the pandemic. Maybe Bob will go back in and make a studio album. <laughs> and you laughed, Rob, you laughed at me. <laughs> that, will never happen, Bob, that will never happen. <laughs> Bob can't sit back and do nothing for this whole year you know That's, yeah he's a right he's a rest he's got that restless hungry feeling you know and he's yeah. got to create one way or the other, whether it's making metal sculptures or painting or making records or rewriting songs for mondo scripto he's he just has that in him so who he knows does. yeah who knows what maybe by the time he's doing concerts to go leave again there'll be another record on top of this who knows anything is possible when we're talking about this guy so well matt thank you once again for coming by this was great i said i've i've been of two minds about how long to wait before we start uh, incorporating the, the rough and rowdy way songs into the show, because obviously with no live performances to sort of give us that additional context, we only can judge it as it exists on the record. And as it's sort of relatively new thing, but I'm hoping, you know, there are words of vaccines coming that we will be seeing Bob once again soon. And we'll get to hear some of these songs live. That ought to be just so much fun. But in the meantime, it's it's going to be fun going through these other songs on the record. So thank you once again for coming by. Yeah, well, hopefully if this first tour back in 2021 is in the continental U.S., maybe we'll see each other out there on the road. That would be fantastic. So uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at Matt underscore Stike. Uh, it's mostly uh, Bob Dylan and politics, but now it's going to be less politics and more Bob Dylan again. <laughs> and uh on YouTube, if you Google Stike's Choice, you can find some of my favorite never-ending tour live performances. Uh, you can find me in Pod Dylan episodes number 106 and 120. <laughs> um, but before we wrap up, I did want to say, Rob, uh, I, I love the show. It's gotten, it's part of my uh, routine now. On Saturdays when it drops, I go for my long bike ride for the week and crank it up. I think it, uh, it provides a great outlet for people like me and uh, your other guests. Uh, you're like a you know, offering free Bob Dylan psychiatric services. <laughs> so we're not, people like us aren't uh, on public transportation trying to get people to talk about this about Bob Dylan. So it's great that we can do it here. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, uh, all right, everybody, of course, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, finewaterpodcast.com. By the way, if you go to finewaterpodcast.com, you go to Pod Dylan, I have, um, we have anchor tags for anchor tags. Good Lord, that's an old reference. We have hashtags there uh, for all of them. I have them for all of my guests. So if like Matt just talked about the episodes that he's on, uh, if you go to the bottom of this post on the website and you just click Matt Stike's name, uh, you'll see all the shows that he's on has come up, and we have that for every guest. So if you ever want to search for a um, every episode featuring a particular guest, you could just click the bottom link, and you'll see their name, and it'll pull it up. So that'll be very handy if you want to, uh, you know, sort of trip hammer through a particular guest. And if you want to subscribe to the show, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're talking Twitter, or we're talking about Dylan over on Twitter at Pod underscore Dylan. Finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. 
There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krogh for their support of Pod Dylan. And then one last thing, of course, as I mentioned in the last episode, we have episode 150 coming, and that show is going to be between, uh, my guest will be Laura Tenchard from Definitely Dylan. I don't know why I even said that. You all know who she is. Uh, we're going to be taking your questions, questions for the hosts. So we'll be doing uh, anything about uh, Bob Dylan or podcasting, advice for the lovelorn, whatever it is you want to ask us about. So if you want to get your question in, you can go to Twitter, go to pod underscore Dylan. I have the pinned tweet and you can add the question there, or you can email the show via fireandwaterpodcast.com. Just go to the contact page and use the form there to send a question and I will add it to the list and Laura and I will do our best to answer it. The deadline to get questions in is December 23rd. So if you want to have a question read uh, on the episode 150 pod, Dylan, make sure you get it in by then. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. Wake me, shake me, free me from sin. Make me invisible like the wind. Got a mind to ramble, got a mind to roam. I'm traveling light and I'm a slow coming home.